0: Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. If you're listening or joining us online, good morning to you also. In a moment, we are going to stand and read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. It's a little long, but we can't really split it. It all belongs together. So would you stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the, the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. And he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do When he called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him. Those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, the disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetedness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Please be seated. Well, I'm a little tired now. (laughs) Fault finders, religious nitpickers, uh, that's what's uh, given to us. Among other things in this section that I just read to you, these Pharisees and the Sadducees were in cahoots with them, and there were other Jews also. They felt that uh, they could renovate God's word amongst God's people. And they got away with it. They did a lot of damage. Deuteronomy, their own law, explicitly said, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of Yahweh your God, which I command you. This is what was behind the authority of Christ when he was saying, You follow man's traditions, not God's word. And you should know better. He wasn't going to take this mess from them. And we applaud it. This was the dumbification of God's people. And it's never stopped. In some form, in some way, some some use emotion, some use intellectual or pseudo-intellectual or something to just take the word of God and make it more complex or difficult or what it is not meant to be. This group that comes down from Jerusalem to him self-impressed minutiae. The smallest, tiniest things that really God has no interest in. They had elevated, they had deified their created traditions. And these these folks were not harmless. Never, such are never harmless. And again, they're here in some form in, in this life to this day. It is a masterstroke of Satan to... Make one's faith dumb. And uh, it is no honor to be biblically illiterate and claim that Christ is Lord. For these, they were the leaders of their faith, or supposed to be, and they were illiterate. At one point, Jesus said, "You, you, you don't know the word of God. And they were the custodians of the scripture. And there are many theologians, they don't know the word of God. They just know how to criticize it. Well, let's look at verse 1 of Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. Again, our title is Fault Finders, Religious Nitpickers, in parentheses. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, they wanted to find out if he supported their rabbinical Judaism. They wanted to find out if he loved and cherished their style of worship if you can call it that. Was he enthusiastic about what they made up about God, about what Moses really meant? Because what Moses said wasn't clear enough. They they had to come along and add to it. You get kind of a chip on your shoulder reading about these chaps. His popularity at this time was at its highest. And he was so well-received by just the common people this disturbed the religious intelligentsia. They didn't like that one bit. His fame outpaced their popularity, and that was not to be tolerated. Only if they were the ones that made you who you were supposed to be would you get a pass. But if you didn't come through, through them, you could not be left alone, no matter what you... You could walk on water, and you still would be beneath their approval if you did not agree with them. Added to this, added to his heightened popularity, was this word that was getting around that there were those up in Galilee that tried to make him king. That would make him ruler over them. Could you imagine how that went over in Jerusalem? Well, if he was to have any success they would have to hold the keys they would have to retain influence this has never stopped what are your credentials oh no, there are places that were, that's very appropriate i mean i don't want my dentist to have an online degree <laughs> I, I want him to benefit from what the universities can offer and 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 be able to uh, not cause me to be waiting for him in a parking lot after the procedure <laughs> I'll get you later. Anyway, verse 2. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled hands, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. (laughs) You catch how Mark says, let's make sure we are just clear about this. They say the hands are defiled. They're just unwashed. There is no defilement here. So they come to find fault, and they found what they wanted. Jesus said this about this bunch Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. It's like, oh, oh, I can't swallow, that's a gnat. And then, <laughs> because there's blood inside the gnat. And you can't have that. But then Jesus, of course, points out, but they'll swallow a whole camel, blood and all. Majoring in the minor things. Now, there are those that come to get exposed to Christianity. They won't major in the minor things. They just pretend. They really don't love Christ. They're just playing this game. It's a kabuki theater. And this is what's happening with this. these folks. He's going to call them hypocrites. He's going to say, you're wearing a mask. You're showing people this thing on the outside. But behind that mask, there's a fool. You have no excuse. No excuse for this behavior. You won't be able to stand in front of God and say, I played you. God will have none of it. And he's giving mankind a glimpse. In, in such a chapter as this, he is saying to everyone, I see it. What are you going to do with knowing I see it? Some, some do, does not enough. Hey, keep right on. Keep, just continue to be as devilish as they can be. They lie to your face. And expect you to be content with that. And if you catch them lying and call them a liar, oh brother, you got real problems. Don't you dare tell the truth about me. Go figure. It's the mystery of lawlessness. You just can't make sense out of it. Well, with uh, these boys, if you if they could not find a fault, they would supply one. And that's what they were doing here. Jesus, by this time. What he had done in Galilee had certainly circulated. He had raised the dead. He'd given lepers back their lives. He'd given lame people back their legs and to blind their eyes. And on and on it goes. And you got a problem with me washing hands before dinner? Are you sick? Yeah. Sick in the head. And dangerous. And applauded by some. Their traditions meant more to them than God meant to them. Well, they'd never worded that way, but that's what they were doing. So he could not be of God. He didn't wash his hands, but he walked on water. He raised the dead people. This is what he's preaching about Moses. Doesn't matter. He did not check the boxes that we put out there. You know how much work we put into these boxes? Mark tells the whole world about them. Mark is saying, let me just tell you about these guys. His audience is, and his intended audience, is Gentile. So he's telling them about what was happening in Israel. And he's saying, these are their traditions. This is what they actually did. Nitpickers like this, they routinely find frivolous faults without shame. And again, largely, they get away with it. You know, it's a lot easier to criticize someone than it is to pray for them. Why is that? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. No man can know it except the Lord. But he doesn't leave it at that. He gives us a new heart if we want it. But if you play games with God, you, again, will lose. And so... Verse 3, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Who are the elders? Who cares? Who, I mean, who cares? If they're out of line with God, they've rendered themselves irrelevant to those who are looking for God. And again, he explains these customs. Because the Pharisees made them binding on the people. they were penalties for violating what they said. You couldn't get away with this stuff. It was troublesome to the people. And uh, again, uh, they would use the scripture when it was convenient. But overall, they had renovated what God had said. Verse 4, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash And there are many other such things which they have received and hold. I'm at verse 4, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. He just said, Mark's saying, you Gentiles understand these folks, what what they're doing here. You can hear, you can hear a bit of Mark's irritation. Decades later, writing this down, he says here in verse 4, And there are many other things which they have received and hold. There's a whole bunch of stuff with these boys. It's not just washing the hands after they finish with that one. They just find another one on you. The only way to get them to leave you alone is to think like them. But who wants to think like this? This will lead to Christ's death. That's how serious they were about this. They took it personal. This would have become an extension of who they were. If you dare disagree with them, you're going to die. Smug about their external cleanliness, but completely oblivious, willfully so. Disinterested in inner cleanliness. They, they wanted what they wanted. And that was this whole ritual, lighting candles and incense or statues, whatever you just name it. I have a piece of the cross of Christ up in a relic form and some junk. And then there are the legalists, which were mixed in with them. Uh, this they habitually legalists substitute outward forms for the inward, just long as everybody can perceive that they are the you know the ones to listen to. Then they go home and terrorize their own families many times. Well, verse 5, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Really? Do you have to even ask me? Why should I even care what the elders say? They weren't about to give Jesus a pass. Again, raising the dead was small to them. This is the this is the gnat that they strain out and the camel that they swallow. I don't want to be this kind of a believer to anybody. Anybody here want to be a hypocrite, put on a little mask when you leave church and fake it all? All of it. I don't I hope not. They pick the fight with him over this, as legalism does, it will pick its fights to make itself look better and stronger and, and just dominate its environment. And in so doing, he snuff out all the light, all the love, all the kindness. You know, Paul says, you can't even boast about being a martyr if you don't have love because it's not dying for the Lord. It's something else. If I have not love, it's junk. Well, how do I get to that love? Well, this ain't the way following the tradition of the elders. We never read about love coming from these Pharisees. It's not until we see Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus converted at the death of Christ, that this is the Christ. We can't figure this out, but they show love to his remains. I believe strongly you'll see both of those men in heaven. But for this petty defiance and offense, they will eventually crucify him. John, who tells us in the seventh chapter of his gospel, links Uh, this time period, he says, they sought to kill him after these things. John doesn't give us these details, this story, but it's the same time going on. And so to add or to take away from God is to criticize him. To come to his word and and add things to it or pull it out is to edit him. It's to criticize. I I don't like that. I think he's a mistake. This is not going to work. God alone sets the dispensations for us. He gets to do that, and he does it through his words, and he does that through his apostles and his prophets and Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.20, having been built in the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being chief cornerstone. It's such an easy verse to read. But listen to the power of it. Jesus Christ himself. See, it's very... If he is who he says he is, and the believers believe that, which makes us believers. If he is who he says he is, and it says Jesus Christ himself, that means his hands are all over this. And I better line up with him before I line up with anybody else. And I can do that without being abrasive. Although the guilty will always accuse the guiltless of the the guilty who have no intention of being righteous will always accuse the innocent of some form of guilt. Well, he shocked them. He shocked these these boys with his disregard for their modifications. He just wasn't impressed. How dare you not be? In, you will notice me. You will give me recognition. Oh, you're not getting the kind of recognition you're looking for. He shocked them with his disregard for the modifications. They shocked him, in this sense, with their disregard for God's word. It's like a... It's like, oh, are you kidding? Are you, I mean, what, other, what other words do you use to express your frustration with human beings who behave this way? It would be really not much if they didn't hurt people, but they hurt lives long term. And he's going to close with that. As we read, he gets into, you know, the lewdness and the evil eye and the blasphemy. These things are sinful and they hurt in a big way. They do damage. And so he's saying, when he gets to that section, you think this is just a religious game? My views versus their views? No, this stuff hurts, harms, and sends to hell. It's very serious. That's what he's going to be saying. We know it to be so serious that he died for us to take away the penalty from those who want him, but because of a cursed flesh Can't quite pull it off. So he has died for the ungodly. But not for the impenitent ungodly. Well, he died for them, but they don't benefit from it because they don't come and receive the grace of Christ. Verse 6. He answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy to you? Hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Imagine you're one of the disciples. You see these guys come from Jerusalem and their three-piece robes, and yeah, uh, you're impressed by them. They're the intelligent ones. They're the ones that are overlords of the faith and the land. And they ask this question: Why don't these guys wash their hands like the elders do? And Jesus, he goes right to the scripture. He doesn't play around. He doesn't mince words. He says, Isaiah the prophet, I'm telling you something from the Bible because you may be too dumb to know it's coming from the Bible. Now, he might not say it like that, but he kind of needs me to kind of lay it out for you. (laughs) But he does. He's in their face. I'm not walking that back. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites right between the eyes? And if you're one of the apostles, you say, oh, man, what are you doing? They're going to get us now. He didn't care. Well, he cared in the sense that he would love to have converted them, but they, these they, these fellows were irretrievable because that's what they wanted to be. Take someone who is exposed to the word; they go, "Yes, I love it. Oh, yes, I'm a believer." But really, again, they've got that mask on and they're faking it. Even God can't reach them because they don't want to be reached. And they resent being told that. So they go find some other religion or some other way to do it. And they they hate on those who say, but we've got the facts. We've got the prophecies. We've got the logic. We've got that which is irrefutable. But no. And that's why your damnation will be just. Because you got up in God's face and lost. Well, here's another section of Isaiah that they should have known. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. Isaiah the prophet says about people like this, To the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. They're dark. They're in darkness. They were the product of deprioritizing Scripture. Scripture. This is the outcome, and the Holy Spirit says to us, you want to deprioritize your Bible, you're going to be messed up too. There's a consequence to this. They pointed to the elders, he pointed to the Word of God. If you stop reading your Bible, because it does not give you the desired results, then watch the results you will get from turning from your Bible. I want to say, you know, in my head, I'm saying, I've been through this. I've been there. To go verse by verse through the scripture, to hunger and thirst for the Bible, and to then to struggle nonetheless and come up with results less than appealing, I have now a choice. I can say I'm done. It didn't work. Or I can pull out my sword and swing against those demonic thoughts that try to move me from God's word. That's what a martyr is. One who suffers and or dies for what they believe in. Well, going by that definition, I can suffer as a martyr just by struggling through life and adhering to Christ. In his words, abide with me. Go with me anywhere. It is too easy to be a fault finder of God and his word and of others. I don't know about you, but I love being criticized. Sarcasm. <laughs> Instead of an applause meter, sarcasm. And there are those that just love doing it anyway. makes them feel good about themselves. So he says, oh, you hypocrites. Again, he doesn't spare their feelings. Because these, they're hurting people. Later on, and Paul will say that these uh, Pharisees, these fathers, elders of the traditions, they made laws that nobody could lift. Nobody could keep them. And as I've been saying, they got away with it. These religious play actors, outward, only was their religion. But inside, behind the mask, something very ugly. Here's another thing Jesus said about them. This is when the disciples tried to shut them up. Don't offend them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. You're just a grave site. There is nothing inside about you that is desirable. There's death in there. The evidences of the curse are in there. And there's nothing working against it in you because you won't listen to God. You only take what God has said and you spin it. And this ugliness, again, finds fault in everyone else. And you may have been unfortunate enough in your life to have been victimized by such critics who hold power over you in some way you got to put up with this nonsense. Well, endure. God sees it all. You say, to him, Pastor, do I have to wait until I die before I see the reward of the wicked? Many times, yep. What are you going to do about that? Well, then what can I do? What can I do to strike back at the enemy? Walk the walk. That's what? Abide in Christ. You want to punish the devil? I'm too afraid to punish the devil. Why? You've not been given a spirit of fear. You punish the devil by pursuing righteousness. Why does it punish him? Because it influences others towards righteousness. And those who don't want it, they'll drop off to the side. But where after those who do want it? Who are they? We don't know. They wait till God reveals them. So it's not uh, their place. To alter God's word, verse 7, and Jesus says, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. How powerful is that? All your church going is for nothing. That's what he's saying. You got your robes, your hat, your incense, your prayers, all the stuff you do. And it's useless. Paul will say this stuff is useless against the indulgences of the flesh. In the Colossian letter, he slams this kind of thinking. Don't eat this. Do eat that. I don't know. Years ago, there was someone boasting to me about their Christian eating, whatever that is. I don't know. If they ate Christians. I don't know. What does that mean, Christian eating? And I said, I said, well, you know, you got all these rules and all, but I see people who follow none of this. They're just as healthy as people who eat don't eat this. You're missing out. I had so much satisfaction shooting that legalism down. To this day, I'm enjoying it. Is that pride? I don't know. It's a gray zone. Because, you know, it's, it's a, I eat this and you don't. I'm better than you. No, you're not. Okay, sorry. No, you're not. <laughs> the flesh. We've got to watch that our flesh doesn't begin fighting their flesh. And that's why I tried to mock it in some form from the pulpit. And then I hear myself later on in the week when it's my chance to get into the flesh. I usually can start fighting back. This morning I didn't have such a good time with some things, but that's another story. Anyway, after the Jews returned from their captivity, uh, the Hebrew, the pure Hebrew language lost its, you know, it started fading amongst the people. So they picked up other languages and parts of other languages, the Aramaic, many of them spoke Greek. And uh, in so doing, the Hebrew scriptures were not really the primary scripture that the common folks used, especially up in Galilee and in other parts of the world. They used what is what we know today is the Septuagint, which is a translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek language. Well, that's the translation Mark is using, that he's saying Jesus used. Um, now Jesus may have been speaking in the Aramaic, and, and Mark is translating his words using the Septuagint. And that's why, if you look in your Bibles at Isaiah 29, where Christ is quoting you may not see it word for word. But if you go to a translation of the Septuagint, then you will see it word for word. There's no injustice, no corruption whatsoever. It's just uh, the use of different words to say the same thing. Uh, It's a practice in in writing. You just don't want to keep using the same word over and over. Anyway, uh, in their lives, they claimed Yahweh. In their speech, they, well, in their speech they did, but not in their lives. They, they went opposite. And he says, teaching us doctrines the commandments of men. Well, by the time, of course, Christ comes to the earth, the rabbis had decided that to carry a loaf of bread from one house to another house on the Sabbath was work. See, this is the minutiae that they, and this is just a little bit, just a little bit, that if you put a lamp out, on the Sabbath day, you were working. If you picked up a child and the child was holding a toy, anything, a rock, now you were violating the Sabbath. You could pick the child up on the Sabbath day, but the child could not carry anything. If you had studs on the bottom of your sand, or your sandals for, for traction, you were violating the... You see, it just went out of the world. To this day in Israel, on the Sabbath day, the elevators in the hotels, they're on automatic. you got to go to every floor. Because if you push that button on the Sabbath, you violated it. This is what Christ was up against. You really think this is what God had in mind for the people? And they did it everywhere. Oh, look, another rule. Giving the Jewish people the Mishnah and the Talmud, which are just really useless writings. They already had Moses and the prophets. Why did they need those guys? Because someone had to tell them if you pick up a child with a rock in its hand, it was a violation of the Sabbath. See, God didn't go far enough for these guys. They were smarter. They were intelligent. Colossians 2.22, according to the commandments and doctrines of men? Question mark. Paul asks. He's challenging it. He's going after it. Titus 1.14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Well, Paul was Jewish, not anti-Semitic. It's anti-anti-Bible. That's what it is. Verse 8 now. I forgot. We've got a lot of verses to go. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers, cups, and many other such things you do. He's going to repeat that. Many other such things. Mark already hinted at it. Christ will say it twice. It's a tone of irritation. Why are you doing this? So, the more they put into their tradition the less they applied themselves to God. That is what happened then, and that is what happens to this day. Their departure from God's word and God's truth ruined them. And I've already quoted, you know, Christ saying, you're mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Why don't they know the power of God? Because they don't know God. And how come that, why not? They don't have his word. They just think they can inherit. You know, if your if your parents are a Christian, doesn't mean you're one. If your child is a Christian, doesn't mean you're one. You're going to be a Christian It's going to be one on one. You cannot inherit the faith, not through flesh and blood or anything short of the confession of faith. So he says, you hold the tradition of men. It's meaningless. It's burdensome. It's painful. It's imprisoning. Acts I mentioned this earlier. Paul. Setting it straight. He says, now now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Sorry, that's not Paul. Uh, Peter and James. Just not letting these traditions put a yoke on people. So you look at a bunch of people walking around <laughs> in stocks and yokes it's just of the law. Washing the cups and uh, nothing wrong with washing cups. In fact, I prefer to drink out of a cup that's been washed. I routinely practice that. And, uh, but uh, they may turn it into a shackle, which is the essence of sin, to corrupt a, a decent thing. And many other such things you do. He'll mention that in verse 13. He's upset with this bloated rule book that they're jamming down the throats of others. Christianity is not a matter of foot washings and head coverings and infant baptisms and such things. This is about trust and belief in Jesus Christ through his word. This is about the grace of God. It is about looking for solutions to problems because of sin, not looking to imprison people because of sin. Uh, anyway, verse 9, he said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God. That you may keep your tradition. He's slamming them. Is, this isn't, there's nothing they can say back to him. But there you can see the smoke coming off of them. As he's singeing them shot after shot. He's not letting up. It's, it's like he was waiting for this moment. It's not all of it, but he was ready for this moment. Uh, three times in this section, he hammers your tradition. Your tradition. He keeps it in front of them. And so we catch it. He says, all too well. you're master's at this. You reject the commandment of God. These are emphatic rebukes and they're not to be missed by us. The Greeks would come along. Well, they're already here. The Greeks deified the emotions. The God of love. You know, the God of, of, of fear. The God of levity. And they had a God for everything. In fact... They even had one for the unknown things. The things that we maybe we forgot one. We don't want that guy to get us, so we put a statue out for him, too. Then they stopped to think that if someone did that to them, I can't remember your name, but whoever you are, have a seat. That's kind of like not a wise thing to do with a God. So when the Thessalonians turned to Christ, because they were sick of that junk, Paul writes to them and he says, About the reputation of these believers. He said, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The Pharisees did the opposite. They turned from the living God to serve their idols. What were their idols? Their traditions. They created traditions like like a man creates an idol. They did it intellectually, not physically. Idolatry does not have to have a figurine. It can just have an idea. When people worship created things, they've lost communion with the Creator. You can't worship other things that are man-made. And these, of course, Christ defying their tradition, he blasphemed their idols. They would never have worded it that way. didn't have to. What they created became the standard of holiness, and that's why they are attacking him. This is what makes a man holy. Not walking on water, raising the dead, preaching like you preach. Ah, none of that. What makes a person holy is he washes his hand before he eats a sandwich. Busy finding fault where fault was not to be found. They made themselves opponents with God. They were out of communion. How can you walk in communion? Can two walk together when they're not agreed? How are you going to walk with God? And you're making up rules that even God would not wake up. make up. Verse 10, for Moses said, "Arnie, your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. A basic law, but the rabbis weren't satisfied with that. It was a thorough law. They felt it demanded a contribution from them, verse 11. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift of God. We pause there. Now, they would not say, well, what, you know, go tell your parents whatever gift they would have received, they're not going to get it now. They would just, they came up with a word, korban. It's devoted to God. And so uh, somebody would essentially say, sorry, mom and dad, I've dedicated my stuff to God. Now, God would never get benefit of this. The rabbis would get some of it, and they would be free to keep the rest for themselves because it was for God in actuality. I'm, I'm serving God. This was a corruption of Deuteronomy 33, where God says, You don't put anybody before me, your family, and nobody goes before me. So they just corrupted this way. Not very clever, but effective. You don't have to be clever. To, be, to do evil, to be effective in doing evil. It doesn't take a genius to take advantage of people, to harm people. Uh, you know, it's not, a, it's not heroic to walk into a restaurant full of unarmed diners and shoot them down with a machine gun. There's no heroism in that. Pure de-evil. Even Josephus talks, of, the Jewish historian, talks about this korban and this practice that was going on. Christ saw it all. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Christ called it for what it was, a criminal act. Nobody else could stand up to these guys and say, who, who do you think you are? You think nobody's on to you with this? Little racket you've got going on there? Get your own parents? He did. He says, severe gr- A severe crime. And he does it without, uh, I don't know what tone he used, but he, there's no, nothing sensational about it. He just calls him out. Verse 13, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you've handed down. And many such things you do. There it is again. You've handed this down as a hand-me-down doctrine. And you're so proud of it that you dare come to me and ask me, why didn't you wash your hands? Let me hear you say that again. I just want to know, are you still that dumb? Well, if he said that, they would have. Uh, again, this is the beginning of the Talmud and the Mishnah that uh, just imprisoned the people. Uh, still happening. Verse 14, and he called, when he call, had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. But well, You've got to love that moment. He says, I'm going to expose you in front of everybody. Because it looked fine. You're that way. Hey, everybody, come here a minute. Listen to me about this. The, this is an intense lesson. The look on his face, the tone in his voice, the complete disregard for those who have no regard for God in God's name. These were beyond atheistic practices. This was militancy. They were militant against God's word. By the way, they handled it. They turned it into something it never was. And I think there was even disgust in his... Voice, if not, it certainly is in his words. Many such things you do. Verse 15, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him. Those are the things that defile him. Boy, these guys are angry at him. They're still listening to this as he's setting the record straight. He's saying, I've told you who these guys were. They may be fooling some of you, but they're not fooling me. That's to this day. What if a pompous somebody comes up and acts like they're, you know, a believer when they have no intention of believing? What do you do with that person? There's there's nothing you can do without their permission. Christianity is by consent. Uh, It's got to be the will. And you play games, you're you're just piling up the judgment. Uh, The Word of God is so thorough. You can just pick any. I, I could... A pastor can come up into the pulpit on any Sunday, pick any section of Scripture, and just go through it, and he will still be speaking to human beings. He will still be attacking sin. He will still be attacking hell and the practices of the flesh. He will still be making strong the believers, because we need that. Because How fast does it take to get become weak as a believer? Just like that. Just so quickly. Leaky vessels, like sieves, God pours into us and it flows out. So he continues to pour into us, if we will let him. Anybody have an objection with that? Verse 15, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. That's what messes him up, not eating with hands with little, you know, dirt on them. It's talking, of course, in regard to morality and obedience to God. He's saying to them, temptation is not a sin. Christ was tempted, and the Bible makes it very clear that he was yet without sin. There's no sin in the temptation. The temptation is in the disregard for God, committing the act, and and especially when you have no intention of, of, of admitting that it's a sin. I see why the impenitent don't want to come to church, because they don't want to hear it. This uh, saying about the food is sort of a coming attraction that he's going to do away with the Old Testament system. And the New Testament precepts, they hammer this. We'll take one, Hebrews eight thirteen. Paul speaking, I believe Paul. In that he says a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. There are a lot of Christians that they love the Old Testament and they sort of ignore the New Testament. The New Testament is not as exciting to them. And so they, they don't get the benefit of these powerful lessons in the New Testament. Don't for one minute think that the Old Testament is better than the New. They are equally God's Word. And uh, it just you're just ex- sort of revealing your lack of understanding. If if you think it, uh, the Old Testament is to be emphasized and the new sort of just accepted. Well, uh, verse 16, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a, an exclusive expression of Christ in the Bible. He is the one that says this seven times while on earth and eight times after the ascension. we come across it in, for example, the book of Revelation. If you have ears to hear, listen up. Um, What should God say to us? Uh, I gave you ears, but don't use them. Of course, he wants us to hear what he is saying before anything else. And if you're hearing God speak, of course, it's going to be consistent with his revealed word. And it's going to involve love and solutions and uh, moving forward and not uh, belittling people for the sake of making yourself feel larger. Verse 17, when he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. Well, the benefit to them. They get inside, they ask. Big mistake. Not a big one, but he, he kind of scolds them. and I, I don't like it. I don't like his response. Because I put my, well, I mean, I'm subject to it. But I'm, I can't lie. I say, well, this is wonderful. I hope he says it to me. So what is he going to say? Well, look at verse 18. And he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? I don't want to hear that. I, I want him to say, oh, you guys don't understand. Rick got it. That's what I want. And, and anybody who says otherwise is kind of dopey, I think. I mean, no, I would to be yelled at. So uh, he says, do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? So he's, he's he's putting a little pressure on them to learn, to think. Parents do it. My mom used to do it to me. So... I enjoy doing it to my kids. No, I don't. But you you do have to, you know, kind of challenge them a little bit so they don't get comfortable with just coming up and asking without thinking. So he says to them, is it not obvious, food never touches the spirit. That's what he's saying. Verse 19, because it does not enter in his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. Some think that thus purifying all foods in verse 19 is Mark's comment to Jesus' lesson. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't take away from anything. I think it is the words are the words of Christ. Verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. Well, until the bullet flies out the barrel, it's harmless. But once it starts flying, it's trouble. The Gnostics even some in Corinth would later attempt to make sin abstract. And there are those today that try to make sin abstract. It's really not. It's okay. We're covered. Um, Sin is concrete. And it damns souls to this very moment. Just what it did to Cain, it does to anybody else who who acts like Cain. Uh, John's very clear in his letter that Cain was evil. But, a man's heart... Directs his hands. That's what the scripture teaches. First uh, Corinthians eight. We're almost done. Look at that. Finish line is in view. <laughs> uh, First Corinthians eight eight. But food does not commend us to God, for well, neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we worse. And yet we're very defensive about food, as you know. <clears throat> Eating bananas is not a sin yet. Uh, but some of you like it. And just to hear me joke about it can offend you. Like, you know what? I'm about sick of this banana stuff. <laughs> so why are we like this? Why do we food fight? Why can't you just stop eating bananas? <laughs> I mean, it happens with anything. It's, so I'll, I'll tone it down. Because I, I want to live a little longer. I mean, banana people might be at bananas. So... <laughs> I'm just using it as an expression, you know, anyway. And sport's the same way. It's okay to bash a sport you don't like. Don't mess with one my kids are playing. (laughs) Don't mess with one I'm... Boy, you people. Man, I don't do those things. (laughs) Well, let's finish verse 21. Well, where are we? Verse 24. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications murders. All right, we'll just stop there for a moment at that verse. So again, he is saying what is inside can create havoc on the outside in the lives of others. And uh, all of us carry the activation codes within us for all sin. Every single sin under the sun, the codes are in there. Some may be buried down deeper than others. Some may be up on the surface, but they're there. Uh, We are born in iniquity. We are born sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're born sinners. And we need a Savior. And this is true of every single human being. We need someone to rescue us from our condition. And that person has to be sinless himself. In fact, he's got to be the maker. And it is Jesus Christ by name and no other and um, that, uh, Christians, we love it. And we applaud it. Verse 22, thefts, covetedness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Well, we'll just take some of these. Uh, no less than 13 items on this dreadful list. And these are the things that wreck homes and start wars and ruin lives and spread disease and make others miserable for as long as they can. They have no shelf life on any of these. Oh, look at that. There's no more murders. They stopped back in the 50s. Uh, They'll be for every generation. No technology, no serum, no uh, vaccine. Nothing can stop sin except death. And um, anyway, coming back to these very quickly. Lewdness, unrestrained, shameless behavior is a very broad meaning that goes with that. A wide range. It can compound another sin. For instance... Someone can be a thief, and they can also be a shameless thief. You've got a bigger problem with a shameless thief. Uh, The lewdness, again, covers a wide range. The evil eye, hostile envy, and not enough to just say, boy, I wish I had that. It's like, I wish I had that, and I hate you for having it. Or some other form, blasphemy, contempt, or lack of reverence for God. <clears throat> Some of you may remember, well, I don't know, there's just various shows out there. They think it's kind of like, cute to be irreverent about God. Um, quick one, Daniel 5 illustrates it. This is uh, Belshazzar, the last king of the Babylonians, because he died the night after Daniel laid it out on him. <laughs> Daniel said, keep your gifts. <laughs> Let's uh, lavish this man with gifts for reading the handwriting on the wall. I don't want that stuff. So anyway... And you have... This is Daniel telling Belshazzar what's going to, what, what his condition is, his blasphemy. He said, you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Now, you know, that's the guy whose knees smote one against the other, and he was dead that night. Verse 23, all these, uh, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. So sin begins in the heart, not the stomach, or in the washing of hands. I close with this verse because all of us struggle with various things at various times. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. He himself has given this grace. It is his grace, not mine. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we are very grateful to see you stand up against the evil that is in this world, that is always seeking to have you conform to something other than yourself. Have you conform, have you bend or break. And we know that uh, you don't do that. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are holy, you are pure, pure, you are love, and you are sovereign. And we are, we who love you and worship you, we are so grateful for who you are. And knowing that, you'll set everything straight when you're good and ready. And that's good enough for us. As tough as it can be sometimes, as difficult, as hateful as some things can be, there is still the flame of faith burning in our heart for you. Uh, This morning, if you've been watching or listening or present in the church and you've never opened your heart to Christ, you have an opportunity now to have the penalty for your sin washed from you so that when you stand before God, and you will stand before God, you can stand with your sins removed, washed away by what Jesus did on the cross. If you make this prayer in earnest, God will honor it and receive you. If you make it uh, dishonestly, you will not be received. So the encouragement lies. Uh, Look for God. Come to him. Make this prayer as an example. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your laws, and I come to you to be forgiven. I cannot go anywhere else to find forgiveness because no one else is worthy. And so I thank you for dying for me on the cross and taking my penalty and saving my soul. And I give my life to you right here, right now. From this day forward, I ask that you would be not only the one who saves my soul from judgment, but also the one who rules over my life through all eternity. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer, may they not be ashamed of it. And may they, may they embrace it. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.